I am reading today from Ephesians 5, 3 through 20. It will be in your pew Bible on page 194 of the New Testament, if you want to find that. Before we start the reading of God's Holy Word, let us join together in the prayer for guidance. It's on the screen. (laughs) Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. Again, Ephesians 5, 3 through 20. But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, that is, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated with them. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For every, Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, Faye. As we continue in Ephesians, uh, we're going to uh, need some time today to thrash all this out. And so I uh, see I've got a little bit of time here, so uh, we'll hope we can, uh, we can get to the heart of uh, Paul's message here to us uh, as the church. I saw this story the other day. A local news station was interviewing an 80-year-old lady because she had just gotten married for the fourth time. The interviewer asked her questions about her life, about what it felt like to be marrying again at 80, and then about her new husband's occupation. He's a funeral director, (laughs) she answered. Interesting, the newsman thought. He then asked her if she wouldn't mind telling him a little about her first three husbands and what they did for a living. She paused for a few moments, needing time to reflect on all those years. After a short time, a smile came to her face, and she answered proudly, explaining that she had first married a banker when she was in her 20s. 
Then a circus ringmaster went in her 40s. And a preacher went in her 60s. And now in her 80s, a funeral director. The interviewer looked at her quite astonished and asked why she had married four men with such diverse careers. She smiled and explained. Now remember, you have first the banker, then the circus ringmaster, then the preacher, and then the funeral director. She smiled and explained, well, I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Now, you have to admire her for her honesty here. And at least she had plan and purpose to her marriages and her life. You know, uh, Jesus uh, talked a lot about uh, being authentic and genuine. He had a miraculous ability to see into the hearts of people, to know when they were covering up. This woman could have said, well, I married them all for love. But she was honest. Jesus loved honesty and authenticity in people. Uh, Lydia and I were uh, just celebrating our anniversary uh, this past week, August 9th. And so I took her to that romantic uh, anniversary spot, uh, Trenton, New Jersey. <clears throat> and you can go to the slide there. We went to that great place where in American history, most everybody I'm sure recognizes Washington crossing the Delaware and go to the next slide. We actually went to the spot marked by this marker where Washington crossed the Delaware. I took a picture of it and there you go. There's the Delaware River, which is at pretty high level right now. They've had a lot of flooding up in that area. Uh, The night that George Washington crossed it on December 25th, 1776, Uh, The war had only been going on about half a year, and uh, the British had won every battle. Most of the battles were up around New York City. And Washington's troops had dwindled down. He had just a few thousand men left. And in a few days, most of those men were going to leave because they had signed up for six-month enlistments. And so Washington had a difficult choice to make. Do we just go into winter camp, which would be the normal thing to do, Or do we do something outlandish, something perhaps foolish, something risky, something that may mean the end of the war altogether? The British already were certain that they had won, given the number of victories, given how ragtag and small Washington's army was. So the British had encamped for the winter, not expecting any other battles. Washington brings his troops down, and he he crosses over the Delaware into Pennsylvania, and then he has to cross. You know, there are a number of crossings. We think of the crossing of the Delaware. He had to do this several times for this to all work. And he's going down. There's an encampment of Hessian mercenaries, soldiers who have been hired from Germany to fight for the British. And uh, there's about 1,500 in this camp in Trenton, and that's where he's going to attack. But things don't go well. Uh There actually were supposed to be three different groups crossing. The only one that made it across because of the ice was George Washington's crew, and it took them three hours longer than they expected. It took them ten hours to get all the boats and the men across the river. Can you imagine? uh, They had a nor'easter that night, 
There was snow, sleet, uh, terrific winds, and they're trying to get across this river. But fortunately, he was able to get across. And then once they got across, they had a nine-mile march at night through the storm down to Trenton to the Hessian encampment. Now, I'm not going to go any more into the history of this because uh, you, can, you can read about this. It's a, it's a terrific story. And as we were there in Trenton and going to the parks, and by the way, we didn't really plan this for our anniversary. It's just one of those things we just happened to be in Bordentown and then there was Trenton and we had said when we saw the map, I said, wow, that's a lot of history in there. And if you ever get a chance, it, it was a great, great experience to, to visit everything up there. Maybe not for your anniversary, but it's a great thing. But what I came away from that with, what, with asking was, what kind of man was George Washington that these soldiers would follow him? And a few days after that victory, they then went up and they fought another vic, uh, battle. And another battle. Within three days, they had, they had several battles that they were fighting. I'm wondering, when did the men sleep? Two of the men died on the march, the initial march, down to that Hessian encampment from exposure. Many of the men suffered frostbite. How do you get men to do that? How do you get people to be so dedicated to something? Washington knew that this was it. In fact, the password for that march was, so they could tell who was friend and foe, was victory or death. And he would write that on all of his orders, victory or or death. Absolute commitment. How do you get somebody to follow someone who is asking you to risk your very life? And it came to my mind, we can go to the next next slide here, that what we have here is a case of either superficiality or authenticity. A superficial leader people see through. They can tell Somebody who's going to sit back and let them pay the price. Someone who's going to have grand plans based upon what will bring them glory versus someone who is truly bought into the cause. George Washington was authentic. He was real. He was genuine. He was convincing. He was credible. In fact, in one of those battles that they fought in that Trenton campaign, uh, many uh, of the soldiers on both sides saw an amazing sight as Washington rode his horse between the lines of his soldiers and the enemy as they fired. He so wanted his men to believe that God was on their side. And he believed that. That this was the most important battle in human history. To establish something that had never been established before on this earth. He was willing to go out there And to risk his very life. That's who people are willing to follow. We follow Jesus Christ because, not because he came and he, and he said a lot of things that sounded good, not because he just taught us, but he showed us how to live. And he showed us what it meant when he said, greater love has no man than this than that he laid down his life for his friends. He not only said it, he showed it. And so I believe the passage that we're looking at in Ephesians 5 today is about superficiality versus authenticity. Are we real Christians? Are we authentic? Because as I look at my life and I look at churches and I look at the the greater Christian uh, domain out there in our world today, both through media, mostly I'm seeing it through the media, 
but also in person, I believe that there is a lot of superficiality. It's spiritual laziness. It's the, it's the uh, slipping into that temptation to look the part, but to not actually be the part. Isn't that, isn't that true sometimes? Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody and you got a little superficial in the relationship? You know, it's bringing the apple to the teacher when you forgot your homework. You know? It's the trying to look good to talk good. It's, you know, we talk about people. They can talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And really, Paul, in a lot of his writings, that's what it really comes down to. Are you going to walk the walk that God has called you to? Or are you, are you going to be uh, superficial? The um, scripture today, let's, uh, let's start into that in, in Ephesians 5.3. And, and I always encourage you to, to open a Bible and to follow along. Paul starts out and says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not a hint of it. You know, it's been in the news recently, uh, uh, one of the major, major new church movements in America over the past couple of decades, led by a man whose books I have taught in this church in Sunday evening classes. Somebody I had great respect for. He has been caught up in all these scandals that have rocked not just Hollywood, but the church of sexual immorality. And it's a terrible thing for that church. And they, they've, they've uh, influenced churches worldwide. And they, they, every year they have a global summit, and about 10,000 churches participate in this thing. And, it, and they get about uh, six to 800 churches to show the summit live on the screens in their churches so other people can come and be part of that. And those the 600 and some churches I saw the other day, 230-something had canceled, said we're not going to sponsor it this year. So there's lots of repercussions going on in there. It's, it's, uh, it's incredible how one person's sin, and again, these are accusations of about 10 women against him, but nothing proven, but just... The slightest hint, Paul says, any hint of sexual immorality must not be there. Now, a lot of people would say that and say, well, that's actually being way too hard. We're human after all. And we let slip in a worldly, evil sort of reasoning that says it's okay for us to indulge a little bit. It's okay for us To allow a little bit of leniency. But Paul knew that once you begin to do that, the proverbial slippery slope begins to come into play. And sometimes that's a legitimate fear. Sometimes it's overdone. But I believe in the slippery slope concept that that every, every addiction begins with a single act. And we have to be careful as we go through that. So he says there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. I joke, but it's not coarse joking. I talk, but it's not foolish. Uh, Well, (laughs) this scripture hits home on me a little bit. I had to think about that this week. Nor should there be obscenity. I, I, I don't engage in that, but some of you do, and I need to talk to you about that. But rather than that kind of talk, you need to be giving thanks. 
And here, we're not just talking about thanks to God, but thanks to each other. I believe in saying thank you to people, and it's not, you know, you can't do that enough. You need to thank folks. Thank you to the people who every week work so hard over at the food pantry. Thank you to the volunteers at the community center who sometimes have a tough job because you don't know who's coming through that door. Thank you to the people who do the big and the little things. Jesus said the little things are important. The smallest things are sometimes the keystone of the kingdom. Thank you to those folks. Even thank you to joy. (laughs) Yeah, I knew that would shock you. And he says such a person... The immoral, impure, or greedy person is an idolater. How are you an idolater? How is that idolatry to be immoral or impure or or a greedy person? Because it all comes back around to making yourself God. It's selfishness. It's that narcissism. It's that selfie generation that we talk about that we're living in now. That, That propels you towards greed and immorality and impurity to make a God of your own Impulses and feelings. Such a person is an idolater and has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. No, let no one deceive you with empty words. Now there's superficiality. Empty words. Words that are said but have no meaning behind them. Uh, nothing, you know, uh, George Washington standing before his troops saying, uh, victory or death. Uh, Go ahead and attack now, and I'll see you in a few hours. I'm going to go back to my camp, and we'll see how things go. You know, that's that's emptiness to that. Uh, When we promise things and don't follow through on the promises. When we praise God in word and music and prayer, but don't really believe it. These are empty words. And let no one deceive you with empty words means be careful of the people who you listen to. Check out their... Authenticity. Are they real and genuine? The scriptures tell us in 1 Samuel that the Lord does not look at the things people look at. The people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. But I know that in our society, I know that in my life, there's a lot of judging by the outward appearance. A lot of people are impressed by someone who has the million dollar smile and the perfect hair. It makes you feel good to be around those kind of people, to be accepted by those kind of people. It makes you feel better about yourself. And there is an uh, epidemic of plastic surgery going on thanks to Snapchat. Snapchat has these apps where you can go in and you can change your appearance, and it's pretty effective. You can change your nose. Your teeth can be wider and brighter and broader. You know, you can change anything about your appearance. But what's been happening, the medical industry is reporting that many people now are going to plastic surgeons with the Snapchat photo that shows a better them and saying, this is who I want to be. That just says to me they don't know who they are. And all the plastic surgery in the world isn't going to solve that. If you can't be content with who you are and how you look and the way God made you. Now, there are things we can do to make ourselves look better. Uh, One for me, wear a mask. That would help. But is, is it any wonder that in Christianity, in many Christian threads of Christianity, uh, that we would call very conservative threads, but that they encourage people not to use a mirror 
not to look in a mirror. It was a sin to spend time dawdling in front of the mirror and admiring yourself and changing yourself. Because why? Because God does not look on that outward appearance. Spend the time that you're, you're spending on outward appearance, spend that time on the inner you. Find out who you really are in regard to God. For because of such things, these empty words, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, I need to move a little bit quickly through this, or this, I'll have ten sermons in this. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. He says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I love that. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Do you know, Paul says, you are all familiar with these words. But we today have lost the source of those words. We're not sure where they, they're not written down any place except in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We know nothing of their origin, but the theory is, and it's, 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 it's probably true, is that this was part of a hymn that the Christians would have sung at that time. It was a hymn of resurrection, of the coming of Christ. When the dead in Christ shall rise, the archangel, uh, the trumpet sounds, and Christ returns, and the dead in Christ arise. So Paul says, you know these words, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. But that also works for each one of us living this life. We are dead in our sins, and God is calling us to, to rise up, from the death of our sins, and that Christ will shine on us his light. And he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. As a church, we we seek to find opportunities to counter the evil of the world. The days are evil. Make, Make use of every opportunity that we have. But I want to I say here, while the days may be evil, the world is still a place of great good. And there are good people. There are people who take very seriously these words and the other words in Scripture and try and try to live by them and seek the Spirit of God to strengthen them to do that. It's easy to look out into the world, especially with the news, and to see the evil in it. But I think you also need to look for the good in it and celebrate that and give thanks to God for that. That's what the psalmist David often does, thanking God as he looks around at this beautiful world that has been created. We thank God for the saints among us who make sacrifices that they might live out the life of Jesus Christ. And yet we still see tremendous opportunities to do good. And we must not pass them up. So many folks, so many of us are spending so much of our time in idle uh, relaxation. Uh, We say we need it. We're tired. We're sleepy. Maybe we're tired all the time because we don't have a fire inside us that says get up and do something. But we need to take a look at how much time am I actually spending fighting this fight for the kingdom of God. If George Washington and his soldiers could could sacrifice so much for this country, how much more should we be willing to fight for and sacrifice for the kingdom of God and for the souls of folks if we really believe in a heaven and in a hell? And then finally, I'll end with this. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine. 
Now, that doesn't mean you can get drunk on things other than wine, okay? I know some of y'all are looking for that loophole. Which leads to debauchery. The common thing in the culture of that day and in the culture of this day is to, is to get drunk and be senseless and to just get into a, a situation where I often believe people get drunk in order that they can do things and have the drunkenness as an excuse for doing them. Well, you have to excuse me. I didn't, you know, say you're rough. I didn't mean to hug and kiss that other woman. I was drunk. You got to forgive me. I think that's that's a, that's a big part of it. Getting drunk allows us to do things that we normally wouldn't do. I remember when I was uh, in my early teens, I read a book by a guy named uh, uh, Jimmy Jones, and uh, in the book he said, "Do you know why God doesn't want us to get drunk?" And it fits right in with the scripture. He said, God doesn't want us to get drunk because God wants us 24-7. He wants 100% of us. And when you are under the control of a substance where you cannot give God your mind, your heart, yourself, where that substance is now controlling you, then God has lost you. But God wants you to be with him all the time. And when you're drunk, he doesn't have that. And I thought, that makes a lot of sense. As a young teenager, I thought, I, thought I, can, I can understand that. It's not just a thing of God made a rule because he likes making rules. But God said, the problem with getting drunk is you don't have the sense that I gave you. You don't have the sense not to do certain things that are destructive. And ultimately, you don't have the sense to engage my Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and says, and this was an important uh, scripture in the church of my youth. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and, and, and spiritual songs. Singing and making uh, melody in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Singing and making music in your hearts. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns, songs from the Spirit. You know, in the New Testament, they really don't talk about musical instruments. Uh, in Revelation, we have the talk about in heaven symbolically using instruments. But the worship was focused on the spirit. Now, I'm not saying that you couldn't use a musical instrument, but sometimes our musical instruments become the centerpiece of our worship. Certain kinds of worship, they're loud. And certain kinds of worship, they're beautiful. But what really matters is what is the music in the heart? In the heart is God plucking the strings of your heart, not just the strings of an instrument. God wants our worship to be heartfelt, an extension of our minds focused on Him, and an outpouring of His Holy Spirit. And when we sing and when we make music for our own entertainment or to impress others, then we have not done that. I think that what touched us a few minutes ago by the special music we had was I sensed the Spirit of God in that music. I sensed the Spirit of God in those singing. And that's what matters. Not the quality from a human standpoint, but how much of God's Spirit was there. The last uh, thing I'm going to share with you is, is just one little thing about sometimes people say, I've heard this over and over, you know, uh, I, I like that preacher. He's just so passionate, passionate. That, that preacher is full of the Holy Spirit. What they're judging for is the preacher is yelling 
or the preacher is jumping. The preacher has this exuberance on the exterior about him. But remember, God doesn't judge on the outward appearance. He judges on the inside. Do not be deceived, Paul will tell us, by those who appear to be filled with the Spirit because of the manner in which they preach. But inside, they're filled, as Jesus would say, with dead men's bones. There's nothing in there. Be careful about that. Some of the quietest preachers I ever knew were the most spirit-filled people after I got to know them over months and years. People found them boring. People fell asleep on them. But as I got to know that person, I said, this person is filled with the Spirit of God. And some of the loudest, most ornery preachers I've ever known, it was hard to tell that they had the heart and the compassion of Jesus Christ in them outside of the pulpit. So be careful of that, Paul says. Do not be deceived by that. This is a powerful section, but it all comes down to this, folks. I think that almost all the Bible comes down to this. Jesus puts so much time on this. Are you authentic? Are you a hypocrite? Are you someone who is superficially living out the gospel? Or are you willing to actually give heart, soul, and mind to God and to live in that way? And Amen. I hope you take a few minutes. I want to take just a moment now. I know we're out, out on time here. But I want to take just a moment. I want us just to pray silently. I, I think it would be good if we just take a moment. Pray, pray to God. Say, Lord, take my heart. Make it yours. And Lord, expose to me those things that I have not surrendered to you. The idols in my life. Let's just take a moment and silently pray to God. all God's people said, amen. Now let us go in the peace and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we go believing his word and allowing that word to penetrate into the very, uh, very heart of our soul, transforming us and changing us that we might walk in his holy way and know the joy and peace of his kingdom. Go forth. In the name of Jesus, and amen.